Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Father, thank you that we can worship you in a time such as this. We come and glorify your name. And um, especially today, as we're going to be gazing upon probably the most beautiful sight and most beautiful event known to man, the only hope for the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good day and welcome to our online celebration. My name is Lorraine and it's really a privilege spending time with you today, wherever you are, whether you're watching this alone or whether you're watching it with your family. My prayer is that you would experience the presence of Jesus in your midst today. Um, we are at the end of our series called Beautiful One, and we're ending in a culminating moment where we're going to be looking at the beautiful one confronting probably the most horrifying event and sight and reality that humanity has to face, and that is death. Today, we are celebrating Resurrection Sunday. And this is the beautiful one, Jesus, confronting the horrible reality of death and conquering death. So I'd like to invite you on this journey. I believe today what we're going to be looking at is the reason why there are more than 2.4 billion Christians worldwide. People, that's almost a third of the world's population proclaiming Jesus as king over their lives, saying that they know Jesus. And I also believe this is probably the reason why we see in arts and literature Jesus being the figure that has probably been represented the most of all figures in all of history. Time magazine, in fact, calls Jesus the most influential person that ever lived. And I believe it's because of this. If you listen to what I've just mentioned, those are staggering numbers when you consider that Jesus was only a peasant who lived about 2,000 years ago. And this man, this carpenter, would impact our lives still today. If you ask the question why, it's because of this. It's because of the resurrection. And I believe it's the resurrection of Jesus that is the only hope for the world. And we're going to dive into what this hope is all about. And I believe the first part of the hope that Jesus gives us is that his hope is secured in history. It's not just some airy fairy kind of hope. It's a real one. It's grounded in history for you and me to look back at. It's like a fact that has really taken place. Now, I don't know about you, if you've ever visited or been at a funeral and had to say goodbye to a loved one standing in front of an empty grave and then seeing this person being lowered down into the ground, there is something of a finality in that moment that grips our hearts when we are confronted with death. It looks so final. And I think it's because it is final. Death is the ultimate statistic. It's one in one person dies. If you are born, there's one thing that we can say about your life is that it will end some or other time. That is a fact and a reality we all have to face. Unless if Jesus did die and was raised physically from death, we have hope for life after death. 
But if you hear this, it sounds so out there, it sounds so crazy, you would probably be thinking and be asking the question that I would also be asking when I'm hearing this, isn't this just a fairy tale? Isn't it just a far-fetched thing? How do we really know that this actually happened, that Jesus walked this planet, that he lived, that he died, and that he was raised to death? And the answer is how we could know is there's actually a science showing us how we could know, just like confirming this event in history. And this science is called textual criticism. And it looks at the authenticity and the integrity of historical text by comparing the number of copies we have available of the events taking place, as well as looking at the time gap between when the first copies was written and the first copies we have available today. And by looking at this, um, historians take this into serious consideration and say whether we can believe what was written, whether it's authentic, whether it has integrity. And I just want to quickly show you guys the one that's compared to the Bible, the one that speaks about Jesus's life, the one that comes closest in the same era would be Livy's History of Rome, very famous and widely taught in universities all around the world. Now, the text that she has written, the first um, moment that we have text that she's written and the time that it was written, the time gap between these two is about 900 years. It's almost a millennium in between the two. And yet we only have 20 copies available of these documents. But when it comes to the New Testament, it's a totally different story. The first partial copies we have available from events taking place and the first copies written is about 170 years. And we have full copies available of the New Testament of about 450 years. And then on top of that, we have 5,300 Greek translations, 10,000 Latin translations and 9,300 others. That's a staggering almost 25,000 copies available that talks about the life the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what's remarkable about the Bible is the short time gap between the events taking place and the first manuscripts we have available. So we can say for certain, Jesus was alive. He's a figure that lived. It's actually historical phenomena in literature to have so much copies available about someone's life. He lived, he died, and there was someone on this planet that conquered death, and his name is Jesus. So the hope that Jesus gives us is not an airy-fairy, wishful thinking one. It's a fact-based one, grounded in history. But the reality is, I believe also today that I want to speak to you about, it's not that Jesus' hope is only one that's in history, but his hope is also a hope that would come and satisfy the deepest hunger of our hearts. You see, facts will not be able to satisfy that alone. There is something deeper and something greater that we long for. What do I mean by the hunger of our hearts? Well, the question would be, what is the thing that your heart desires most in this world? What's the thing that you think, if I have that, I will have everything. I will be satisfied to the core of my being. That is your heart's desire. And I can take a guess so out of three things that I believe most people look to, to satisfy the hunger of their hearts, and it would be success, comfort, and recognition. Some people would say, if I can only achieve that level of success, if I can reach that goal, then only will my heart be satisfied. I want to quickly take you to a person that many people might say have already found the success. Madonna, as she speaks in Vogue magazine, talks about the horrible fear of mediocrity that she's facing every day. 
And she tries to overcome this fear of mediocrity, having a sense of significance by her successful productions. But she says every single time she's achieved some form of success, it only lasts a little while. And then this fear of mediocrity comes to haunt her at night once again. And she becomes a slave of her own success. The reality is, as she points out, that this will never satisfy the true desire of her heart. When it comes to our comforts, if you can imagine people just thinking, and this is probably a real one, if I can have all the comforts this world provide, then finally my heart will be at rest. Then my heart will be satisfied and the desires of my heart will be fully, fully quenched. The reality is, is Jim, Jim Carrey writes the following. There's a quote of him, and I think it's a guy that has the capacity to get everything money can buy. And he says the following. He says, I wish everyone would get rich and famous so that they would know that this is not the answer. To have all the things your heart desires, to be able to buy it, will never be able to, to satisfy the deep longing that you have. The last one I would say, um, and I would want to mention, is probably to be recognized. Be recognized by that certain special someone. Now, um, just a few weeks back, about two weeks, three weeks back, uh, myself and my wife, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary and um, if you knew me before I got married and you asked me, what do I want to be one day when I grow up? My answer would have been married. That is what I want to be one day. I absolutely idolized and hoped that one day if I would have the girl that would recognize me as being good enough and love me um, for the rest of my life, then finally the desire in my heart would be satisfied. Now, even though our marriage is in a great space and I really love my wife and we're really doing well, the one thing that I have discovered in our journey together is that not even marriage, not even having the recognition of the one that I've desired to recognize me would be able to satisfy a hunger in my heart. In fact, both myself and my wife, you can go and speak to her. She'll, she'll confirm what I've just said. The reality is not one of these things would be able to clarify or to, to clarify the longing that we need and the hope that we hope for when it comes to to satisfying the desires of our heart. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, if I find myself, if, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And what Lewis is getting to is he's saying there is something out of this world that has to address the longing that I have inside of my heart, the desire that I'm longing for. And Jesus, claiming that he came out of, out of heaven, down to earth, out of this world, into this world, and that his sacrifice and his resurrection would become the hope to satisfy the longing in our heart, which I believe is a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with our Creator. We were made to dwell with him, to abide in him, um, to commune with him. And I want to mention not just commune, but literally to connect with him. But there is a problem. There is something standing in the way of our relationship and the fulfilling of the desires of our hearts. There is this great barrier called sin and rebellion. And Jesus dealt with it on the cross. And, and the reason why this is a barrier is because whenever you've sinned, and we can look at, at what happened with Adam and Eve, the first thing that happens after sin is we are filled with guilt. Guilt means I'm convinced that I've done something wrong. I'm overwhelmed with what I've done wrong. 
But guilt quickly moves towards a point where we see Adam and Eve also going. It moves to shame. And shame is, is the conviction, not just that I've done something wrong, but that I am wrong. And that's what we see with, with Adam and Eve looking at one another and realizing, listen, we are naked. We are not good. We, we are wrong. Something is wrong about us. And we start trying to cover up our wrongness. We start trying to cover up our sin. And then it went to the place of pain where Adam and Eve would literally run from God, hide from God, hide themselves from his presence, which would lead to pain. The reality of sin is, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And if we look at the cross, which we've looked at on Friday, the cross is the picture of the penalty of sin, the price of sin, Jesus paying it with his life. But today, we're looking at an empty grave. And the grave is the picture of that sin and that price being fully paid. It's like the payslip. And saying we've all been set free from the wages, the price of sin, which leads to death. And for that reason, we can now have a relationship with Jesus. We can commune. Because the moment sin brings distance and division and we run from God, now because Jesus paid the price, we can run towards God. We can be with God. I believe the Bible can be summed up in three words. It's these three words. God with us. That's the heart of the Bible. That's the story of the Bible. God, the creator of the universe, being with his creation. Being with us. And sin was the only thing that stood in the way. But because of Jesus' death and now his resurrection, the fact that death has been conquered, we can once again commune with God. Sadly, I believe many people mistake connecting with God for communing with God. It's almost like mistaking, making this mistake that we many times make in modern day. Knowing about someone is not the same as knowing someone. When I was young, um, we had these old telephones in the house. I don't know how many of you guys would still be aware of them and know them, but you could have the privilege of picking up a phone and actually eavesdropping on somebody else's conversation and get to learn quite a, a lot of stuff about that person while you're listening to their conversation. But still, you're not having your own conversation with the person on the other side of the line. And sadly, there are so many people that's eavesdropping on sermons and other people's experiences of their experience and their knowing God and abiding in Jesus and thinking this is what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Guys, the reality is, is God has not just called you to know about him. And that's the reason why the facts alone don't satisfy. They can strengthen our faith, but it's our personal journey our personal relationship with Jesus, that's the key to fulfilling our hearts. How does this happen? How does it look like when Jesus fulfills our hearts, when we walk with him? He puts it like this in John chapter 15, verse 4. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide. That word, which we read about abide, is the word remaining in me. And then he goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now what's powerful in this piece is Jesus is firstly saying, he is the vine and we are the branches. Just one note, 
The vine can live without the branches, but the branches cannot live without the vine. So the first part of this relationship means that we submit to the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he is the sustainer of our life. And if we are planted into him, if we are abiding in him and submitting to his ways and his will, we will have life. But the second part of it is if we do abide, we will produce fruit. What is this fruit? Paul speaks about it in Galatians 5. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know about you, but in this time of trouble, in this time of panic, when we face horrible realities in front of us, health crises of thousands upon thousands of people dying, living in this uncertainty, and then also an economic crisis that awaits us in the future. How much fear and anxiety is creeping up and gripping your heart? And the only thing we're longing for is peace. And Jesus says he can bring us and give us that peace. Guys, the reality is there's nothing in this world worse that we can face than death itself. And the good news is Jesus himself conquered death. And in that we find our peace. We find our comfort. That no matter what life will throw at us, it cannot be worse than death itself. And Jesus overcome death. I'd like to end off with this story. It's a testimony that circulated on social media a few days ago. It's about a doctor in Italy working in one of the hospitals in Lombardy. He, he writes the following, and I want to read the whole story. He says the following. Never in the darkest nightmares did I imagine that I could see and live what has been happening here in our hospital for these three weeks. The nightmare is flowing. The river is getting bigger and bigger. At first some came, then dozens, and then hundreds. Now we are no longer doctors, but we have become classifiers on the treadmill, and we will decide who lives and who should be sent home to die. Although all these people have paid their taxes all of their lives and they deserve quality medical care, this is our reality. Until two weeks ago, my colleagues and I were atheists. It was normal because we are doctors and we learn science and science was told to exclude the presence of God. I always laughed at my parents going to church. But nine days ago, a 75-year-old pastor came to us, a gentleman, and he had great respiratory problems. He had a Bible, and we were impressed that he read it to dying and look, looked at them, took their hands as they would cross over. As all of the new doctors <clears throat> were tired, discouraged, psychologically and physically exhausted, as humans have reached our limits, more can we not do. And more people die daily. We're exhausted. We already have two colleagues who have died and others are unemployed. We realized that where what man can do ends and we now need God. And we begin to ask ourselves questions when we have a few free minutes. We talk to ourselves. We cannot believe that from ferocious atheists we have become believers to find our peace asking the lord to help us resist so that um, so that we can take care of the sick yesterday that 75 year old pastor died which until today 
despite the fact that we had more than 120 dead in three weeks here, we had all ended up wanting him to live. I am happy to have returned to God while surrounded by suffering and death of my fellow man. What a story and what a testimony. For this doctor, there was hope in Jesus's life. Maybe today is your moment to surrender and find hope in his life where you can look at the only hope for humanity, for life after death. If that is you, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. The Bible tells us if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus will save us. He will become this hope, the hope of life after death. If that's you, let's pray together. Jesus, as I'm listening to this message, your spirit has moved in my heart and it has convinced me and convicted me of the fact that you are truly Lord. I want to give my life to you. I acknowledge that you are the only one that conquered death. You are truly the son of God. I believe this in my heart and I want to confess it with my mouth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you've just prayed that prayer, I want to congratulate you and I want to invite you to call us. You can find our numbers on the website. We'd love to talk with you because it means that you are now a child of God and given yourself fully to Jesus. God bless you as we're going to go into a time of worship right now, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.